How, how many times have you asked someone, hey, how's it going? And you heard back in reply, man, it's been really busy. I, I hear that all the time. I hear that all the time. And it's typically followed by, by a weary sigh, right? And, and stories, real stories usually, of stress at home or stress at work. I, I think I've rarely heard someone refer to busyness as a good thing. But friend, if, if busyness is bad, you would think that rest is presumably good, right? So why is it uncommon to hear someone answer the same question by saying, man, it's been wonderfully restful lately. (laughs) Do you ever think about that? I mean, how often do you hear that? Why is it always, oh, it's it's busy. It's busy. Well, I think part of the reason for that, if we can be honest this morning, is, is our tendency to, to ground our identity, our, our sense of worth and value in our activity. We ground our identity in our activity, but busyness, so it feels, justifies our existence. You know what I'm talking about? In ways that, that rest does not. So you don't get a promotion for resting, right? You get a promotion for working. All the bosses in the room said amen, right? You don't don't get paid for resting. You get paid for working. We're, We're told you don't achieve success by resting. You achieve success by working. We we live in a a work-driven, performance-oriented culture, right? Hope I don't need to tell you that. (laughs) We breathe that air. And friend, that's a false gospel. that's That's a religious cult of busyness that many of us just readily embrace. But some of us react to that (laughs) tendency by taking the exact opposite approach. So in your mind, perhaps, work is, it's not your identity, it's an unfortunate necessity. It's a drain, it's a a drudgery, It's, it's a duty. And when you do have to work, you're thinking, how soon can I possibly rest? Because rest is where it's at. So you feel. No responsibilities, no, no obligations, no, no claims on the way you spend your time. You can do with your time whatever you want to do with your time. That is rest. That is the good life. Every week on vacation, every night watching TV, every weekend playing sports. Unlimited recreation, unlimited screen time. That too is a false gospel. That, that's a... That's a cult of entertainment that many of us readily embrace. Why, why, do, I, why do I make these observations, friends? Because our, we, we so quickly miss this. Our, our cultural vision of work is just as unbiblical as our cultural vision of rest. They're equally messed up. <laughs> but, but we forget that. Right? So, so we do things like this. We, we try to find life by, by balancing our idolatry of work with a little idolatry of rest. <laughs> right? Or we're trying to, to find life by, by seasoning our idolatry of rest with a little bit more idolatry of work. Friend, slavery to a balanced array of idols is still slavery. Think about that. We, we, what do we need? We need God to deliver us from, from both the false gospel of work, that the lie that says my identity is found in my activity, and the false gospel of rest, the lie that says life is found in complete freedom from any responsibilities or obligations whatsoever. 
We, we need the Spirit to renew our minds so, so that we, we see our work for what it really is. And we pursue rest where it's really found. Because only, think about this, only when our pursuit of work and rest aligns with God's plan for our work and our rest will we find true life in our work and in our rest. And that is what makes the fourth commandment such a sweet gift. Such a sweet gift. In Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, the Lord addresses the way that we think about our work and our rest, but, but he gives primary attention to how we think about rest, our vision of rest. Hear the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, read along with me. Let's fix our eyes on God's word. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I want us to, to ask and answer a couple questions about this passage, okay? Questions I think we need to ask and answer if we're going to understand the claim it makes in our life. So here's where we're going, okay? First, why did keeping the Sabbath matter for Israel? Why did it matter for them? Second, how does Jesus change the way that we keep the Sabbath now? And third, what does keeping the Sabbath today actually look like? <laughs> so why did keeping the Sabbath matter for Israel? How does, how does Jesus change what it means to keep the Sabbath? And how do we keep the Sabbath today? So that's where we're going to go, okay? Let's, let's begin with the first question. Why did keeping the Sabbath matter for Israel? Why did it matter? Well, the basic principle here, okay, at least in a, in a behavioral sense, I think is not terribly hard to grasp. Rest, don't work, on the seventh day of the week. All done. <laughs> but, but notice, that's, that's not the first thing the Lord says when he is explaining to Israel through Moses what it means to honor the Sabbath as a holy day. What's a holy day? A day set apart for God. What, what does he begin by saying in verse 13? Whole verse devoted to this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Friend, do you know that God's shalls are just as authoritative as his shall nots? They are. That's not a setup to get to the real command. That's just as authoritative. Why? Because work is just as much part of God's good and perfect design for our lives as rest is. We need to hear that from the the divine mandate to fill and subdue the earth in Genesis 1. Or or God's command to Adam to to work and keep the garden in in Genesis 2. Scripture never treats work as an unfortunate necessity. Hear that. Rather, the fact that God works and and he created us to, to image him in our work. What what does that do? What does that fact do? God works. He created us to work. That does something. That infuses our work with incredible dignity and value. So if work is good, so good, why stop? 
Well, because rest is just as good. It, it Rest, too, is an act of worship. It's one of the ways we image our creator. We, we fulfill God's good and glorious purpose for our life. The, the priority of rest, think of it this way, our, our need to rest is not a result, ultimately, of the pain and sorrow of work. Why do I say that? How do we know that? Because God established the seventh day of rest in Genesis 2 before the curse of sin came into our world in Genesis 3 and made our work hard and made our work toilsome and made our work depleting. That that means the priority of rest, the the importance of the Sabbath is, is grounded in something, please hear this, much deeper and truer and greater than our need to just get patched back up so we can survive another week of toil. Work is not the point of rest or the end of rest. Rest, the priority of rest, our need to rest, it's grounded, hear this, in the goodness and perfection of God's work and our absolute dependence on him as our creator and redeemer. Our need to rest, the priority of rest in scripture from the very beginning isn't grounded in, you know what, work is really hard, so you're going to need a break. Is that true in a fallen world? Yes. But that's not the foundation of rest, biblically understood. What's the foundation? Rest is grounded in the goodness and perfection of God's work and our absolute dependence on that work as our creator, as our redeemer. I mean, if you've you've wondered this, why is it that God rested on the seventh day? You ever thought about that? Like, just step back. Why would you do that? If he doesn't faint or grow weary, as Isaiah declares, right? If if he has no need to slumber or sleep, as the psalmist proclaims, then why did God rest? Why did he rest? Well, he he rested, friend, for for the simple reason that, that his creative work was perfectly complete. And he delighted to do so. That's why. I I think Alan Ross's insight is really helpful on this point. Speaking of God resting, he writes, God's rest describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. Not exhaustion. So so God God rested. Why? Not because he was wiped, (laughs) but because the work he accomplished, finished, was exceedingly good and, and worthy of being enjoyed and celebrated. So, So rooted as the Sabbath is in God's own example in Genesis 2, God's own rest, the Sabbath is fundamentally a celebration of the perfection of God's work and an expression of our dependence on him as creatures. That's what it's about. So think about this carefully. What what does an Israelite landowner have in common with his servant. Did did you notice that whole list in verse 14? It's like, okay, okay, okay. You're talking about us all, Moses. Well, well, why? Why why give a list? What what do they have in common? Or or what what does a servant have in common with a donkey? Well, the simple fact is that they're all creatures. You realize that? They're all creatures. They're, They're fashioned by God the one in whom they live and move and have their being. Everyone in the list. No no matter how great your teacher thinks you are, students, or your boss thinks you are, or your spouse thinks you are, or your friend thinks you are, friend, you are not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. You don't know all things, you don't have all power, and you are not everywhere present. Why not? Because you're a finite creature. You're a creature. I'm a creature. You you have spectacular dignity and worth. 
but by virtue of being created in God's image. But you are not the one who holds all things together. Feel that. You're, you're not the source of your life. God is. You're, you're not the one who upholds your life. God does. And, and that's what observing the Sabbath was all about. It, it was a powerful expression of dependence. Because life in the, the ancient Near East in this time, still is today, just looks different, but life back then was more clearly fragile. They didn't have refrigerators or freeze dryers or canned goods they, they, or Kroger's to go to or Costco's where you could buy like a year's worth of mac and cheese or whatever, right? They ate what they grew. So, so if you had a severe drought or, or you had a, a sudden hard freeze before harvest, that was, that was more than an inconvenience or something you just sort of took a picture about and complained on social media. No, that, that meant starvation. That meant you might die. Your wife might die. Your kids might die. If you waited an extra day, if you slacked off, if you said, why do today what I could do tomorrow? <laughs> you waited together that harvest and a hailstorm came through that day or the Philistines set fire to your crops that day, you were done. Game over. So you're telling me, Moses, you're telling me, God, that even during harvest time, even when my life, my wife's life, my kids' lives depends on me getting all of that grain into this barn ASAP. You're telling me you want me to take a day off? <laughs> Are you commanding me to be irresponsible? No, what is, what is the Lord doing? What's he doing? He's, he's calling Israel to what? To trust that the Lord is the one who provides by resting from their own labor. He's, he's commanding them to express their dependence on him by ceasing from their work that they could renew their trust in his. So, so the Sabbath... The rest it required wasn't, it wasn't passive or aimless. It wasn't about checking out in front of the TV or passing out in front of your computer, okay? It was active and intentional. Look at verse 15. This, this is so clear in verse 15. Moses tells Israel what to do with the time that they would have otherwise spent working. Verse 15 you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You shall remember. What does that tell us about biblical rest? That it's about a lot more than the absence of work. Okay? What, what is biblical rest all about? It's all about remembering the faithfulness of God. That's the point. It's, it's not just about don't work. Don't work, rest, but rest so you can what? Verse 15, so you sh can remember. So you can remember. But what, why did, think about this, why did Israel need to stop and remember what God had done for her? 40 years earlier coming out of Egypt in the Exodus. Why did she need to do that? Because remembering that, that, that day, that event, the Exodus, 40 years earlier, that revealed something, that continued to shout something, to say something to Israel in this day, friend, in our own day, that is still true for every Christian today. What did that shout? It shouted, God is the source of your life. 
God is the source of your life. It shouted that. Apart from him, Israel was nothing. Brothers and sisters, apart from him, we are nothing. Think about this, okay? Who are you, Christian, apart from God's redeeming work in your life? You ever stop to think about that? Well, I'll tell you. You are enslaved to sin and death, running headlong toward judgment. That's who you are. So, so what did God do if you're a Christian? What, what did he do? He opened your eyes to see your need to be reconciled to your creator. And he led you to the cross where, where he displayed his great love for you by dying in your place for your sins. And then he led you to the empty tomb where the father vindicated his power, vindicated his salvation, and held out to you the gift of resurrection life. And having opened your eyes and led you to the cross and led you to the tomb, God didn't stop. What did he then do? Then the spirit enabled you to respond by changing your heart so that you would surrender to Jesus as your savior and king. Friend, if you're a Christian, you have an incredible story of Exodus, an incredible testimony of deliverance. And that is true whether you wandered in the ways of the world and did drugs and slept with a hundred people or if everyone thinks you are a Boy Scout poster child. No matter what story you have, if Jesus did those things, if he opened your eyes, if he led you to the cross, if he led you to the tomb, if he gave you the spirit, enabled you to respond, you have an incredible story of Exodus. And what's that story shout? What's that miracle in your life declare? What, what, what did the Exodus for Israel shout? The life God has given us is ultimately the fruit of his work, not ours. From beginning to end, the life he gives you, it's the fruit of his work, ultimately, not yours. You're, you're not a self-made man, brother. You're, you're not a self-made woman, Christian. What, what are you? You're a trophy of grace. Do you realize that? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you didn't receive? What's the answer? Nothing, right? If then you received it, if there's nothing you have that you haven't received, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Well, you know, God helps those who help themselves and I sure help myself and, you know, praise be to God. No, no, you're not a self-made man or woman. You're a trophy of grace. Verse 15 in Israel's story all the more true of us because of Christ. So, have you ever wondered why observing the Sabbath made the top 10? You know, there are times if all you ESPN Sports Center people know what I'm talking about here, you know, they'll have top 10 plays. You ever seen that and you just think, that was so not worth being on the top 10, right? Like they were just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Why, why put that on the top 10? Well, maybe you've wondered, why, why would keeping the Sabbath, not working on the seventh day, like top 10, really? Why, why is resting on the Sabbath day the sign of the old covenant? Why? Why do the prophets who come after Moses just, just routinely excoriate, indict Israel for breaking the Sabbath? They just won't stop getting on that. Nehemiah 13, Isaiah 58, Jeremiah 17, Ezekiel 20, Amos 8, again and again. What, what is the big deal, guys? Well, it wasn't about observing a religious ritual. Verse 15 reminds us it was about the posture of their heart toward the Lord. Posture of their heart toward the Lord. Do I believe my life depends on what God does for me or what I do for myself? Am, am I a creature or am I not? <laughs> do I need a Savior? Or do I not? The Sabbath, it mattered big time. It was a big, big deal for Israel because it was all about remembering and expressing her dependence on God's perfect work by resting from her own. 
That's why it was a big deal. And brothers and sisters, we are not one bit less dependent on the Lord today. Not one bit, okay? But both creation and redemption shout the same thing. What what do they shout? God is the source of our life. God will always be the source of your life. So the question is not, if that's true, is he the source of your life? He is the source of your life. That's not the question, whether he is or not. The question is, will you believe that? And more importantly, will you trust God accordingly? That's the question. I love how Kevin DeYoung presents this, okay? The Sabbath principle from creation to Exodus to the New Testament Lord's Day has always what? Pointed in the direction of trust. That's what the Sabbath has at heart always been about. Can you trust God to give you manna for two days on the sixth day? Can you trust God to make up for the lost work on one day by blessing you on the other six days? Can you trust that that this burden you're carrying is not yours to, to carry alone? Can you trust God to carry it and carry you? I love that. If you have faith enough to stop striving and start worshiping. But you know, I, I read that and I think, well, hold on. Can, can we really draw a straight line from the Old Testament Sabbath to the New Testament Lord's Day? Can we really do that? Straight line. If we're no longer under the law in a covenantal sense, what, what claim does the fourth commandment have on our life, on your life? Well, here's where we need to remember the question that we've been trying to ask with all of these commands, and we have to with the whole Old Testament law. How has the person and work of Christ changed, transformed, transposed what it looks like to keep that commandment? We have to ask that question. That's not foisting something onto the text. Why? Because of verse 15. The exodus in verse 15, remember, points all the way forward to the greater exodus, the greater deliverance we have in Christ. So we have to ask that question, which is our second question, point number two. How does Jesus change what it means to keep the Sabbath. If if the reason it mattered for Israel was it's all about expressing physical, spiritual dependence on Yahweh, experiencing the, the rest of soul that only comes from leaning the weight of your life on him. Well, how does Jesus map onto that or, or affect that? Well, well, listen to how the author of Hebrews, so helpful, compares the Israelites under the old covenant to the people of God today and identifies trust in God as the key to experiencing God's rest. Hebrews 4 verse 2. For good news came to us, justice to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's loaded. (laughs) And at risk of preaching, I'll entirely a whole nother sermon. Let's just ask some simple questions about this passage, okay? What kind of rest does Hebrews urge you to enter or just to enter? Nothing less than God's rest. God's rest. The rest God himself enjoys. Think about that. That the satisfaction and joy of, of knowing his work is perfect. His work is finished. His work is complete. God has crazy satisfaction and joy in the perfection of his work. And that's the rest 
he wants to give you. So how do we enter God's rest? How how do we experience the very joy God himself enjoys? Well, Hebrews tells us through faith, those who have what? Believed. Those who have believed enter that rest. Oh, I see. I have to be a spiritual person, a faith person. It doesn't really matter, you know, the content of that. I just have to have faith. And through faith, I kind of get in touch with spiritual realities. And somehow it makes me feel better. No, <laughs> not at all. There's an object to that faith. There's a focus of that belief. It's not just faith and faith or belief for belief's sake, who who or what must we believe? We believe in Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. Look at verse 14 of Hebrews 4, if you were there. If not, I'll project this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What's a confession? Our confession is the object of our faith. It's the content of our trust. it's It's our confession or our faith in Jesus and the saving work he accomplished for us at the cross that enables us to experience true rest. God's rest. What's that rest look like? It's the rest from abandoning all our futile efforts to create life for ourselves. Or sustain life for your family. Or those you love. Or those who are depending on you. And and clinging to Jesus alone. As the only one who can give you life. And sustain your life. Remember the Sabbath. Like like so many Old Testament institutions. it, It pointed forward to what? God's spiritual and physical provision in Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. So on on this side of the cross, we don't keep the Sabbath by not working on the seventh day of the week. We keep the Sabbath by leaning the weight of our life on Jesus. Because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. The, The Father delights, hear this, to provide for all of your physical and spiritual needs, Christian, through those and for those who trust in the Son. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or or Jesus himself makes the same promise in Matthew 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What do we do instead? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's not spiritual jargon. What does that mean? Trust in Jesus, obey Jesus, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, the The covenant faithfulness of God to those who lean the weight of their life on Jesus is not restricted to invisible spiritual blessings only. It includes God's gracious providential provision for all that he knows we physically need as well. So when Israel kept the Sabbath, what was she doing? She was expressing trust in the God who provides period. When we hold fast to Jesus through the obedience of faith, what are we doing? We're expressing our trust in the God who provides. So the the way we keep the fourth commandment has changed because of Jesus, but the heart attitude behind it hasn't changed at all. It's always been about resting in the God who provides. Matthew 11 verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. How do we know that? How do we know Jesus isn't just sort of spinning possible benefits to get a following? Well, 
because of what he says right after that in Matthew 12, verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's Sabbath rest that he's inviting us into when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. The the rest God requires in Deuteronomy 5, no less than the rest God himself enjoyed in Genesis 2, both of that, all of that, that rest is ultimately found in Jesus. That's the promise. So if that's how Jesus changes what it means to keep Sabbath, he is our Sabbath rest, What does keeping the Sabbath look like today? Here's where we're going to get very practical. So, at this point, I I think some Christians start thinking like this, okay? People who have been tracking with everything I've said thus far. Pastor, this is all just wonderful. It's all just wonderful. It's sure good to know that as long as I believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want on Sunday right? So how about some food? How about some football? How about a long nap? I love food and football, and I'm going to take a nap this afternoon, okay? Full disclosure. But, but follow me here. Think about this. If food and football and naps is as good as rest gets in your mind, then you don't understand rest at all. You don't know what true rest is. Why do I say that? Because Jesus hasn't left it up to us to decide how we want to express our dependence on him. Rest, main point of the whole passage, Rest is the sweet reward of depending on Jesus, yes, but in the way he has prescribed. So we don't just get to say, you know what, pastor, thank you so much. I, back when I was eight, I walked an aisle. I am good with Jesus. And so it's just really appreciate you setting me free from all that false guilt that all those other churches laid on me. You know, don't mow your lawn on Sunday. And I just so love the freedom in this place that I can do whatever I want on Sunday morning. No. No, why not? Because God has not only commanded us to express our trust in Jesus, to rest in him, but to do that in certain kinds of ways. Does that make sense? In ways he prescribes. In other words, scripture doesn't just say, depend on Jesus and do whatever you want. It says, Tell, ex- express your dependence on Jesus in specific ways. Let's take Hebrews 10 verse 23, for example, just to pick one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to Jesus, our Sabbath rest. Hebrews is all about that. And how do we express that? What what way of expressing that has God authoritatively prescribed? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Question, Is there ever a week where you don't need to be exhorted to hold your original confidence firm to the end? No. No, is is there ever a week when you don't need your brother and your sister in Christ to stir you up to love and good works? Do, Do any of you in this room have an independent ability to live your life all by your lonesome self and manage to hold fast to Christ your Sabbath rest and never let go? Well, some of us act like that, right? How do we do that? How do we do that? By neglecting the community of the local church. Clinging to faith in Christ, keeping Sabbath, as it were, under the new covenant, is exceedingly harder than observing a whole day of physical rest under the old covenant. 
Sometimes we think, oh, Jesus came and he just let me off the hook. You know, like, like whoo, he did all that work, so I've, I can rest now. <laughs> no, no, clinging to Christ our Sabbath rest is downright impossible apart from gathering with the local church. I'll say it this way. Trusting Jesus as your Sabbath rest does not turn gathering with the church into an optional event. It doesn't do that, okay? What does it do? It makes participating in the life and worship of the local church a matter of life and death. Why? Because it's the people of God that will keep you faithful to clinging to the person of your Savior. Always. That's why church membership is so critical, friends. That's why Sunday mornings are the most important time of the week at Kingsway. It's not because there's something special about Sunday as a day, okay? The Apostle Paul makes that abundantly clear in Colossians 2.16. The footnote, I think we have a lot of biblical and historical evidence for Christians meeting on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, because that's the day we celebrate his resurrection from the tomb. That's a whole nother message. <laughs> so we don't gather here on Sunday because Sunday is just this authoritatively special day. I mean, to press the point, we could do this on a Saturday night. So why do we gather? It's because something supernatural happens, friends. When we gather to read the word, to pray the word, to to preach the word, to sing the word, to share the word, to to participate in the word through baptism and the Lord's Supper. What is going on when we do all that stuff? God is strengthening our faith in Jesus as our Sabbath rest. He's doing that right now. you, You realize you're not just listening to some guy on a stage say something. The Holy Spirit is using the preaching of God's word to strengthen your hold on Christ. He's empowering you to follow him. You know what's so amazing about that? That's happening even when you feel like nothing is going on inside of you. True story. Why? Because it's ultimately about whose work? God's. Not yours. It doesn't even depend on your consciousness of God's work because then it would partly depend on you. One more great quote from Kevin DeYoung. Too many of us see corporate worship as a good thing to do if the weather is nice but not too nice. It's a funny thing to read on this day. If the football game is uninteresting, it is definitely not today. And the sports practice doesn't interfere, or if they're not too tired. Somehow, we've gotten the idea that gathering with God's people to worship at God's throne and to hear from God's word is something that's fine to do when it fits into our schedule. Friend, if you you get in the habit of staying home on Sunday morning or attend only when it's convenient and you happen to not have other vacation plans, you're not just missing a meeting. You are missing out on the most important work God is doing in your life. Renewing your faith, strengthening your trust, deepening your joy, In the salvation rest, Christ is one for you through the gospel. And if you do that, if you neglect that, you are disobeying the word of God. Why? Because remember where all this starts. It's not just, well, depend on Jesus and however you want to do that is fine. You be you. No. Depend on Jesus, our Sabbath rest, in the ways he has told us to. And prescribed. All history is moving forward to the goal of God's rest. And and through faith in Christ, that's that's a rest we experience now in part. One day we'll experience that in full, praise be to God. But until that day, hear this, the organized gathering of the local church is God's plan for getting you across that finish line. 
You, you can't say, I'm not exaggerating. You, you cannot say, Christian, that you are depending on Jesus and finding your rest in him if you stop gathering for corporate worship with his body. You can't say that. Gathering for corporate worship is one of the most important ways we keep the fourth commandment under the new covenant. Not because Sunday matters, but because gathering with the saints to exhort one another and be built up together is one of the most important ways we express our trust and dependence on Jesus. That's the point. But there's a second application, practical application, I want to briefly mention here, okay? Well, there's nothing in the New Testament that instructs us to observe the, the first day of the week, Sunday, as a day of physical rest. Do you hear me say that? There's nothing in the New Testament that instructs us to observe the first day of the week as our day of physical rest. Nonetheless, as finite creatures... With physical bodies, physical rest and sleep are essential expressions of dependence on God. Think of it this way. Psalm 127 verse 2 is just as true on Sunday as it is every other day of the week. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God gives sleep. So what's the point? Creating and maintaining healthy rhythms of rest for your physical body is a very practical way that we demonstrate our dependence on the Lord. And I, I mention this because I, I think far too often, guilty as charged, ask my wife, we think, I think, of, of sleep as one of those good things when you can get it, but it's not a matter of obedience. Or are there times God calls, even requires us, to sacrifice physical rest for his sake? Absolutely. Yeah, some of you are hesitant now, like, oh boy, where's this going? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Okay, no mom of young children in this room or listening to this recording should feel guilty. Any more than the Apostle Paul did when he said, what about his missionary labors? They included many sleepless nights. But here's the point. If, if your normal lifestyle does not include the physical rest your body needs. Do not pat yourself on the back as a noble workaholic. (laughs) I thank you, God, that I'm not like other lazy men who only work 40 hours a week and sleep like eight hours a night. (laughs) No, friend, if, if your normal lifestyle doesn't include the physical rest your body needs, humble yourself and repent. Because physical expressions of dependence, like taking time to sleep or going on a walk, (laughs) are are ultimately spiritual expressions of humility. That's essential. Remember, verse 14, what what do all those people and animals have in common? They're, They're all creatures. They all need rest. And so do you, friend. Physical rest because you're a creature. You're You're dependent. God is the source of your life. You're you're not the source of your own life. Rest is the sweet reward of depending on Jesus in the way he prescribes. And that includes both the grace of physically gathering with the church for corporate worship and the grace of sleep for our physical bodies, among other things. The point is that God created you to depend on him. God created you and saved you to depend on him. And he delights when we rest in his work by ceasing from our work. It's the the whole logic of the gospel. That that strength for today and and hope for tomorrow don't, don't come from what we do for ourselves. They come from what God does for us. Which means rest isn't the absence 
of work. Remember that. Hear that. Some of us never thought that before. I mean, you want to prove that. Have you ever spent a long weekend doing nothing but watching Netflix? Or binging on, you know, beating however many video games? And, and by Sunday night, you just find your, your body and your soul are strangely tired. What's that prove? That rest isn't just the absence of work. It's the sweet reward of depending on Jesus in the ways he has prescribed. That, that requires gathering with the saints for worship. That requires obeying God's word by humbly getting the amount of sleep that you need. It may also mean going on a walk this afternoon or bring your raincoat or, you know, taking an hour to read a Christian book that you've been wanting to read or your spouse or your friend asked you to read. <laughs> it, it might mean asking a brother or sister to hold you accountable for leaving the office at a certain time or, or spending time praying before bed, reading God's word instead of watching TV. It might mean staying away from your email inbox or the, the stack of paperwork on your kitchen table until Monday morning arrives. I, I, I say may mean, why? Because we have to be really careful here to not foist, impose our personal convictions in areas of Christian freedom on fellow believers, right? As if the habits I've developed to express rest, dependence, trust, are the only ways of doing that. But at the same time, friend, we need to love one another enough to speak up. If you see a brother or sister working themselves to death. It's not love to simply say, I'll pray for you. Do pray, but pray this. Pray the Holy Spirit would grant them the conviction of sin. <laughs> that he would open their eyes to the areas in their life where, where they're walking in pride, where they're not depending on the Lord. We can all fall into that. It's, it's not love if a fellow member stops showing up on Sunday morning and we say, well, I sure hope the pastor got to them. No, go after them, friend. Why? Because the absence of depending on Jesus in the ways he prescribes is what? A sure sign that faith in God's work has been replaced with faith in our own. That is spiritually deadly. And, and if you don't know or you're unsure, you're hearing me talk about importance of rest and you think, how do I grow in, in depending on Jesus' work more than my work, especially in your job, like what you're about to do Monday morning? Well, ask for help. Ask other believers how they do that. Read, read Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy, or, or Christopher Ash's volume, Zeal Without Burnout. I love those, but both of those have been so helpful for my soul in this area because, because we need help to distinguish what is purposeful rest and what is spiritual lazy apathy. We need to discern the difference. Here's the bottom line. God commands us to be a people who worship God alone. First commandment, right? For who he has revealed himself to be. Second commandment. Exalting the name of the Lord. Third commandment. By leaning the weight of our life on him. The fourth commandment. So in your parenting, rest in his work. And in your job, rest in his work. In, in your discipleship, rest in his work. Let, let's be a people who are happily busy with the things of God and a people who actively find our rest 